0: At this point, you should be on the frame with a film strip title that says Or Hygiene. Welcome to Oral Hygiene. It's the podcast where we look at educational films, experimental films, caught films, interesting documentaries. This is Matt. Today we are looking at a very interesting documentary of its. Um, a subject that I, I've actually have a whole lot of interest in, would have found uh, weirdly obscure, which are the uh, Seth books written by Jane Roberts in the 1970s and a little bit in the 1980s. This being the only video I know of, uh, I think the only video there is, of her channeling this entity which would write books. But I'm going to get a better introduction to that. Uh, I have Barry Gellis here. He was one of the New York boys and Seth's classes back in the... 70s. So, hi, Barry.
1: Hi, and I'm Myra. Um, it's ironic that it's you're discussing videos and movies, but it's audio. So, that yeah. fits in there with ending up. <laughs> that equals ending up, maybe a little more, ending up in Japan for 10 years. <laughs> that, <laughs> your, your route. Um, okay, so I have this written down. Uh, I'm going I'm, I'm to read it. This is, And then we'll go anywhere you want. Uh, I have your notes, by the way, too, and the things I sent you. Okay, anyway. So uh, the Seth video, is, this is my longer TV guide synopsis of the Seth video. The Seth video is the only video recording of the late Jane Roberts channeling Seth, an ancient personality that no longer has a body. His positive messages include, one, you create your own reality via your beliefs, emotions and expectations. Two, in so doing, you should include helping and not harming others. Three, people are intrinsically good, loving, and compassionate, hardwired to love and help. Four, and he is always giving the power back to his readers, listeners, or class members. That any power you feel or see in him is a dim echo of your own power. As in the video, he says, you are blessed because of your being, not damned because of it. And he says, we have a spiritual biology. In the video, he says, your spirituality is known through the glories of your flesh and that your flesh becomes more spiritual because of its existence through the seasons and its experiences with the time that you know and recognize. In short, he says, the body is the soul in flesh. And lastly, and in the same positive vein, giving any power people see in him back to those who see the class video, he addresses the people watching the video. He says, I ask you then to sense the energy in this voice and know that it is your own joyful vitality. I ask you to feel it and enjoy it as your own. And to those who may view this class, I request that you also feel the energy of your being, and know that this voice is but a dim echo of that vitality and validity that is your own. End of TV Guide summary.
0: All right, um, thank you. Though that's the uh, feature article for TV Guide, but too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen a TV yeah. Guide for years.
1: <laughs> well, it's still there someplace in some museum. Or, uh, what do you call eBay? <laughs> eBay has it. I'm thinking and, of that um, store in so,
0: Back to the Future too the uh, antique store with the uh, sports almanac and a TV guy. Oh, well, I but, saw uh,
1: them. But, uh, um, yeah, so so you can see here in this little bit, Seth is, you know, very positive in his message. He doesn't say people are damned or doomed or there's eat devils and you got to watch out. He's always, and when you ask questions a lot, he says, if, if I answer your question, you're only getting half the answer and you'll think you'll have the whole answer. So it's better if you try to an- answer the question yourself. He's, he's, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't want people to look, look to him. He doesn't want his words to be dogma. Him and Jane, both, you know, they, they don't want any kind of cult formed around it. Classes were very, very informal. And um, I'll, I'll stop it there. And you could ask what you want
0: well, or I'll continue. continue. <laughs>
1: Uh, I'll continue. I guess
0: how we got into the scene. Um, I'll just tell you how I came across this in the first place, and I, I imagine you'll have a much deeper story for this, um, having been to the class uh, No, I know. Uh,
1: well, well, yeah, in the room, n- Lee, so <laughs> not how I got, not how I got there. Isn't very deep? But yeah, in the classes, deep things happen. Quote deep um, things.
0: For me, I guess around 2016 is when I started getting interested in you know more metaphysical things. Uh, I'd already been like an artist or whatever, or making music and things. But um, it was actually I was reading a book. I, I I don't. One of my credos is I don't really believe in anything. But I so I was reading a book about the secret space program. Am I saying there's a secret space program? Eh, no, But I'll read a book about it. And it was like everyone that joins the secret space program has to read the Seth material books and the the Law of One books. I'm like. That's interesting. I want to read what the secret space program people have to read. Ended up reading, starting with, um, I think, The Unknown Reality, moving forward and then looping. That's the third book, of course, of the main series, uh, jumping backwards to a second and reading the first one last. So um, I'm actually, weirdly enough, I'm not such a fan of the first one. It's kind of like seems like a trailer to the other ones, but i sent multiple people uh, the second book as, you know, present. So... (laughs)
1: Okay, let me, oh, there was a lot you said there I just wanted to comment on. Uh, first, the he, he wrote the official books, you know, we're calling them the official books, about 10 maybe, starting with Seth Speaks right, and ending with The Way Towards Health, which I refer to as The Way Towards Death because Jane died in that at the end. And she was like sick the whole time, or well, most of it. Anyway, so there were those 10 books. Let's say it begins with Session 500. The sessions began when Jane was doing this. Uh, she she didn't believe in, in, in these stuff this stuff either, really. And she was doing a book on ESP powers and different things. And they used a Ouija board. And in the Ouija board, some person came through who might have been her neighbor or somebody. Just a regular name, like Fred Smith, Fred Mertz, you know, it was someone. And uh, then slow, slowly, it became interesting. And he, he said, he, he, that's just a part of him. He, and he said so that was like the first session, the first Ouija board session they had in which Seth came through, it became session one. And then they had these unofficial sessions up until let's say, and it's close, but not exact, session 499, okay, and sessions one to 499 are found in the early session books, there's nine of them. And it contains all the experiments they did because Jane. they didn't know if Jane was losing her mind, uh, they went to psychiatrists and they tested Seth a lot, and all those are in that book. Those those nine volumes, plus great material. But then, let's say, so 499 was the last one in early sessions nine, and then 500 became the first session of Seth Speaks, the first like official dictated book, Seth Speaks. And then there was uh, the nature of personal reality. And then there were others. I don't know. I'm not sure if the unknown reality came later or not, but I just know there were like 10. The thing with Seth Speaks, which was you said, it's like a preview, whatever it is. It's totally not. It is really, really interesting and packed with fascinating, fascinating information that are interesting and moving. Like chapters nine through 12 is all about like the death experience and what happens when you die and this and that. But the first 30 to 50 pages are a problem. They, they, they are slow and difficult to get through. At least that was my experience also. But I trusted in that something's going to be here. And then it was, it really picked up. So I would strongly recommend, if you're interested in this at all, to just go through, you know, trod through whatever uh, metaphor you'd like to use, the first 30 to 50 pages, and then you'll see where it picks up. Because it talks about so i mean it's just as good as any other book it's not a like a little trailer in the least you know it's like calling the book war and peace a trailer to his next book whoever you know whoever I'll, I'll
0: take that. your advice on that since i since i did read the other nine <laughs> oh. but uh did
1: you read all the, did you read all the other ones the... i've
0: read all the other ones yeah um okay i, I guess i would think since i came to that one last and, and maybe if i get past those 30 40 pages i'll get there but i'll be like oh well, this guy they all of this, there's a lot more depth than, say, the Dreams book or oh. something.
1: So No, no, it is equal depth to all the other books. It's not like that Seth Speaks is more de- in depth than the other books, but it's not less in depth. Mm-hmm. It's equally great. And Seth suggested, and of course, uh, or Jane suggested, or both, that you, you were supposed to, which I didn't after two books, you're supposed to read the books in order they were written. So they say, first suggested reading the Seth material. That's a book about how Seth came to be. It gives all of the concepts it's, and it's, it's a great book. It really again, if you want to call it a trail, trailer, it's not it's like a movie that's a, a movie trailer of a movie. but it gives you in depth all the stuff, you know all the different concepts and how Seth came back. That's called the Seth material. you know how they doubted him. they didn't know what was going on. Then Seth speaks, and The Nature of Personal Reality, which is the book they were writing when I was in class, The Nature of Personal Reality, that they referred to it and stuff. Then after that, I don't remember, but the books that I liked were The Nature of Mass Events and um, The Nature of the Psyche. And the, I think there's one with the, Seth Speaks, The nature, nature of Personal Reality, Nature of Mass Reality nature the psyche. And there was one more. Those are the five books that I read first. And so they started going out of order. But, you know, I think once you get the first few books, it doesn't matter that they go out of order, but you know, who cares? You yeah. know, read, read, I think it's important to read the books and discard anything you don't like. And I'm only not talking to you, but everybody, whoever is, what listening, listening and in their head, imagining a visual uh, just discard, uh whatever you don't like and keep whatever you do like. You know, you have to trust yourself first. If you're not there to trust yourself, you can never agree with me, let's say, because you're not there. You're just agreeing without trusting what you're agreeing to or why you're agreeing. So trust yourself all the time and with the Seth material and everything I say as well. Um, and those you said. All right, I don't remember. You, there was something else you said I had wanted to comment on, but maybe I did inadvertently. <laughs> and you know, so th- that's I, how you I, go ahead. Oh, uh,
0: something I really like about the uh, books is just maybe that's the other half of the answer to your question: is they read so differently every time you take a look at a different okay, part. That, uh, now, n- Last year, I went back to you know once COVID hit, I was like, I'm going to read massa events again because <laughs> that seems to pertain to right now. And of course, uh, the it's uh, Jonestown and Three Mile Island are the the main events they're talking about. Having written the book in 1979, but uh, then reading it in 2020, it was just wild how much it you know seemed to take a look at the current situation as well.
1: There's in. It- I don't, it, there's a book. It's later than that. It's when the Legionnaires' disease. Maybe it's not later, but the Legionnaires' disease was about, and that was like a epidemic. I don't know if you remember that. Or you're, you're, there was something called the Legionnaires' disease mm-hmm. that was a virus, and it was everybody was afraid. Seth, in those two, in sessions eight oh one and eight oh two, talks about it, and it really, really, really directly it covers what's happening now. Like uh, he said. You know when people are are upset they uh somehow you know that we always have things in us, but when people feel despair dis- <laughs> he said misery travels faster than than a virus, and he was relating when there's a mass like epidemic like this with people they're feeling helpless and hopeless they they feel like the government's not p- paying attention to them and it, it connecting it all to when when these epidemics occur that really tied in with Trump and what's going on in America. Uh, at the time, the virus, still now today, but at the time when the virus first came about. So like I said, 801 and 802, um, I actually did a, an interview with that, but I don't know where or with who. Um, I, I I read the excerpts from that and then we discussed it. But to you and to anybody listening, uh, I'm looking to the camera so see. and to anybody listening, uh, eight, 801, session 801 and 802 maybe it was in mass events i don't think so i think it was after that but in any case i would just single that out before you start that speech find those sessions or if you remind me i'll may, i'll tell you what they're in and read them you want to know about the viruses they they about it ties right in every which yeah, way
0: but, definitely have to go look at that um, get, getting back i kind of mentioned how i kind of walked in backwards but um you know The things that really got me is, I I guess, the second part of the unknown reality is where it really gets into sort of the mind experiments, you know, um, things that you can apply. Because I I have times I meditate or whatever, but then times when you're walking or waiting for a train, you know, something I often do is just stand at the train station, thinking about places I've been before where I could be otherwise and, you know, thinking about how much of the space around me I filled at some point uh, at this train station I go to every night. (laughs)
1: you have a little place there for you
0: okay.
1: yeah so yeah you you, you reserved the spot in the air
0: exactly <clears throat> <laughs> and all the the alternates that could have been but um uh could you tell us a bit how how you ended up in class in the first place
1: yeah it's pretty simple I ended up in uh I was friends with Ricky Ricky stack someone named Dickie Nissenbaum who changed his name to Richard Kendall so he's not like, in the books and uh I, w- I was, uh, they were involved in some cult thing that was kind of negative, and I didn't like it at all, but we were still friends. And then I had gone to Texas for a few months, I came back, and they, they had started getting involved with the, with the Seth material. That guy died, who was in charge. He had written Jane, that's uh, another story about that. It's called the Gnosis, that's what it was called. But in any case, when I came back from Texas, they knew I was wary about stuff they're involved in, but they mentioned, you know, there's this thing, it's great. They showed me something that was written and it fit right in. I always had a positive view about the world, about the universe, about people. So Seth fit right in to everything that I, like I was building a foundation and then Seth helped fill in more of it or connecting certain dots. Like I had here and I had here and then he on the ground, like connected those dots. So when they, they asked me to, uh, if I wanted to come to class and I said, yes, and they said I should call Jane, but I never did. I just went up with them, and then you know that, that was it. So uh, that's how I got involved.
0: And that's a so that's a five-hour drive upstate, is it?
1: Yeah, it's a five it's five-hour drive each way from Queens to uh, Elmira. So we would go and we would stop at uh, Roscoe's Diner, which I never heard of, but up there it's apparent like. Uh, big plate, not big physically, but people know of it, Roscoe's Diner. So we'd stop at Roscoe's Diner, get some hamburgers or whatever, then finish the journey, get to, so we would leave at about 1.30 in the afternoon, let's say on Tuesday, we would stop and eat and we got to class. Class started at seven. So we'd get there around then. And it was a four hour class with a break in between. And there was no, she charged, not really, there was a donation that nobody checked. So you either came in and you put money in the bowl or not. I would bring a bottle of wine, Galloport, very expensive, just joking. <laughs> but that's what I would bring. And um, and then the class would go from 7 to 11 with the break in between. Then people would hang out a little bit. Then we'd go leave and we'd go to like a McDonald's. It would be like midnight now, let's say, and there's a McDonald's a few blocks away. And then we'd begin the trip home, stopping or not stopping at um, Roscoe's Diner, depending upon what we where we stopped before. So we would get back home, you know, around what, five in the morning or something. So it was like a whole day. It was like one o'clock in the afternoon. Everything's approximate. One o'clock in the afternoon to like five in the morning. And luckily, and unluckily, maybe in some ways, but luckily, in most ways, none of us were working. So and the person who was working, Jeffrey, he was able to take off, he was able to choose when he wanted, you know, take off. And so it didn't interfere with work, or maybe some people had part time jobs, I don't know, or remember, but back this is in 72. And back at that time, it was much easier to get along on very little money. Like me and Ricky, hitchhiked to uh, California and back in in, in 68, 69. Up. So in 60, it was the 69, we, we hitchhiked cross country and we just had $17 between us. And that was enough because people would either help out and, you know, uh, so today, you know, things are crazy. Also, nobody hitches and gasoline was like 31 cents a gallon. You know, so it was a total different uh, money-wise and other ways, but it was a totally different time. So uh, the not working wasn't as big a deal as not working then, although you know everybody needs money, but we were young. We were like 20, 19, 21. So a lot of us were living at home, but not everybody. Oh, so I was saying about class, that's why it's a big chunk of a day and it's a middle of the week, a Tuesday. So we would do it. You know, um, I was there for about a year. Um, and the re and I, I ended up leaving class, you know, in the middle of everything going on. I was like there from 72 to 73, let's say. And eventually the message I kept getting along with everything else was that what I was kind of telling you, you got to trust yourself. You already have the answers. You, you know, nobody needs Seth. Nobody needs uh, a, a Seth, you, you know, you should ask yourself these questions And when I started leaving the class, I don't know, for five classes, six, you know, once a week, you had to walk downstairs. That was the thing that was in my head. You know, you have the answers yourself, ask yourself. So I decided to go ahead. So I I decided to actually leave the class and start not looking to Seth to any degree I was, but looking to myself. Um, And that's why I ended up uh, leaving after a year. and I, I forgot I was going to say leading it to something else, but who knows what. So, um, do you have uh, something else you want to ask, or I could just go on and on.
0: No, something <clears throat> uh, kind of funny was I was just planning to. Um ask you about the restaurants to and from and you answered it. It's like maybe that's oh, a stupid yeah. question, but I don't know, I somehow uh, that somehow ma- that I guess when I was like, "Hey, what what makes it real?" Knowing that sort of thing kind of makes it real. Like, "Yeah, we do the midnight McDonald's, right?"
1: Yeah, we did that. And and Roscoe's Diner was the big thing. It was uh, on the way up. We we sometimes there'd be two cars, maybe three, sometimes two, sometimes one, but mostly two at least. And we'd all stop at Roscoe, Roscoe's Diner and eat and then continue. You know, if we left at one, two, th- it was like four. Let's say it was about the halfway point, and uh, yeah, and then. But at the end, after the four-hour class, we did McDonald's became very important. <laughs> um, and so we went I, there.
0: I was wondering what what do you bring to class? Do you just go to listen? Do you have like a couple questions on your mind? The sharing experiences.
1: Uh, yeah. What What you bring is just just bring yourself. Um. I, I brought often the bottle of wine that you put on the table. You know, the class was very un-stereotypical spiritual. You know, lights were on, people were smoking, cursing, talking out loud. And then when Seth came through, everybody got quiet and listened. So I would often just bring the bottle of wine, which most people didn't like, so I had a lot of it. <laughs> um, but, and in the class, you would receive the transcript from the week before. I wish I sent you one of those, you know, but marked up a little bit. So the first thing, when you came to class, you would get the transcript from last week. So you would look that over and ask questions or Jane would bring something up. Jane you know, like sat in this rocking chair and it was, it was in her living room. You know, they call it a class, but it wasn't like a classroom. It was just her living room with people sitting around her. some on the couch, some on the floor, like on the rug in front of her, some to the side. And, um, she would, she would direct the, the discussion of, what, you know, she would bring up topics to talk about. She would read something she wrote. So she would basically be like the leader of the class. But anybody could bring up anything. And there was no restrictions, really, like on online seth boards. People have a lot of restrictions. But class was much more open. And um, so we would get the transcript that we would look at and look at it over there. And people could ask questions about it. Or Jane could bring up something about it. So then it's not really what we brought to the class. It's what we left with. So we kind of left with the transcript. Um, that was from last week. And of course, once we had it, we could read it. And, and if we want, we could bring it or look and then bring up questions. Uh, some people, not me, I didn't have the foresight, but some people brought tape recorders and taped it uh, the on little cassettes. There was an official person who taped the class reel to reel. But unfortunately, he taped over the tapes, so I don't think any of those exist. Uh, but those who were those who were his name was Hugh, not you, but Hugh with an H. <laughs> and th- those are uh, the ones that the transcripts were made. The guy taped the class, and then he would tape type up the transcript, which sometimes would be five or six or seven pages long. Sometimes maybe one or two, and so he would, but my friends or some of them would bring those little cassette tapes and they would tape the class and they would turn it off when Seth finished. So they didn't get much of the banter or back and forth in the class, um, which was give, which the other guy got, you know, the official guy, but they made tapes. And from those tapes, one of the people was Ricky and he is using those tapes to make uh, CDs. He makes, he has, he, he has started like the, Seth Center online and he has, he sells a whole bunch of the books and other things. And he also sells the videos, didn't videos, the CDs, uh, of Seth classes. And he uses those, you know, he uses those tapes to, uh, f- to make those CDs. So that's how the class was recorded. And with the video, cause I know you mentioned that in your notes, um, there was only one video and I'm glad it was made, but Jane really shunned publicity. She would, didn't she was afraid, she once said, Oh, she didn't want to like to be described as a middle-aged woman doing this or that. So she she don't she hardly gave any interviews. She gave a few. And uh being on TV would have been a big thing, but they allowed this guy to come over and tape Seth. And it is a perfect session. I, I reread it, you know, since we were doing this. Four, i mean it's a perfect session to to do on video to, it gives all that positive stuff in it and um you know that was good that was it's uh, good it was yeah, so it's not a bad so place
0: to start to you know see what what it's like and i'm glad you sent it to me i did i did read that but yeah it took me about 5 minutes at first you know it's like oh it's a little bit hard to understand and then oh, well, there's kind of a musicality to it and then you find the rhythm and now you actually start to hear more of uh what seth is saying
1: oh yeah it's it's easier in class to hear them the video the sound on the video you know it's not perfect um and the sounds on the audios are not perfect because you just use the cassette but he does give you transcripts so you could read along along with it that's the best way to uh, that's why i made up a tape my own version of the seth video i used you know the seth video um and the beginning do you have the seth video that has the interview at the beginning Do you have Um, that part?
0: The one I just watched was not, but I did see that one a few years ago.
1: Okay. So the official one that they had, had that set an interview at the beginning that asked a lot of questions out of like sequential order. And the interview guy, bless his soul, he waved his arms all the time. And to me, it was like a helicopter and it was totally distracting. So what I did is I, I edited him out of the video. And instead, Richard—we uh, called him Dickie at the time—but Richard, I, I wrote like segues so to the interview. So I would say, uh, like, when did you get started? Or, you know, actually, he would read it. You know, when would you get started? And then it would it would cut to the interview. So I put the interview back in chronological order, and I cut out the hand waving and everything. <laughs> so, but I got the interview in. And then when I did the Seth video. I try to change the black and white a little, make it more black and more white, but I also put in the subtitles. So as you're listening to it, you could read, you know, you could read it on the screen as you're listening. And then at the end, there was 15 minutes. I was I wanted to do an hour. She had done a radio interview in San Francisco and I highlighted that. I, I went through it, I, I did just 15 minutes of that scattered here and there with with the end. Then I put in a question on the screen like. What happened when you first, blah blah, whatever it was, and then I'd cut to the interview where she'd answer it. So I like the tape I made up much better than the uh, official tape. If I do say so myself. Yeah, um, something
0: and, I I must have seen something more like that a few years ago. Yeah, I was kind of like, I seem to remember there being like more of a Jane talking in this, and uh, <laughs> that would explain why.
1: Yeah. Um. One thing about it, Elmira you mentioned about oh the countryside it was weird in the countryside. Elmira was a uh, a big town. I mean it was the it was in upstate New York, but there was about thirty-nine thousand or something people there. It was the capital. Each, you know, in New York, I guess you know this in each state, there's a bunch of counties. Mm-hmm. It was this it was the state capital of Chamunga County or whatever it was called. So it wasn't like a small little country town. It was like a, a big town, relatively speaking, with about you know, thirty thousand. I can't remember exactly what people in it and it was also the capital of the county so it wasn't like it was some you know back backwoods cabin in a small little uh area
0: okay um, actually yeah i guess to clarify. i clarify pictures of a probably a little smaller than what you're saying um when you said that i, I went to university in athens georgia which is that population so yeah okay i was thinking of a little smaller of a town but uh um the books themselves one thing i didn't like at first I mean by the, you know 50 pages in I liked it um was uh Robert Butts's notes at first you're like oh why are there all these notes and but then the, the context adds so much to you know what Seth says
1: yeah so the notes are like pick and choose your own preference in the early session books those nine books there's a, a lot of notes because a lot of it has the experiments and the, you know what, what they did has some drawings and uh but in the regular official books that you say. What I do is I, I might gl- look at the note, you know, glance at it. And if uh, I didn't think it was important, I could be wrong. But if I didn't think it was, I just move on. And then at the end of the chapters, he had notes. You know, longer index. And by the way, with the books, I forgot to mention, there's also something called, it used to be called the deleted sessions. It came out published as the personal sessions. So. Seth would be having, they had planned dictated book book sessions where Seth was able to pick up, you know, right where he left off uh, a few days later or a week later. But let's say it's it's session 600. So we're dictating blah, blah, the book, the book, the book, and then something else would come up. That's not really part of the book, but they'd go on, blah, 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 you know, go on. Those blah, 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 go on parts were not included in the book, but they ended up being called the deleted sessions. It could be like a part of a session or a whole session that they did that didn't go in the books. And those ended up being published <clears throat> maybe within the past, <clears throat> I don't know if it was five years or whatever. And there are seven of those and they're called the personal sessions. <clears throat> I got a, you could see me getting the water. I can see. I can only get it. I still see my nice blank screen. It's not <laughs> blank. It's great. <gray. clears throat> so they're the nine. Early sessions, there's the, I never counted them exactly, let's say 10 official books. And then there's the seven personal sessions, which is material that wasn't for the book. But it's, you know, sometimes it's it's great. You know, it could be about the Watergate. I mean, different things or other stuff that are really interesting. And then this is Ricky, because he started publishing uh, some Seth books, uh, you know, that were there, but there were the transcripts so there are four books that that have tra- the Seth transcripts from 1967 when it began up until 1970 something early 70 70 maybe 71 I don't know up until the time Ricky started taping them himself. So when he started taping them himself, he stopped. He didn't put a book out of those, but he did put four books out of the ta- of the class transcripts, and those are fascinating and th- also, and I think. Unless something else comes to me, I think that's like the rec the comp- compilation, a list of set material that is out there, like in, in book form. As, you know? as
0: a fun experiment, though, uh, I do like, you know, I do like putting it in context. And um, I just had a few interesting things leading up to today's podcast. I thought I'd throw it out. Maybe you have something of your own to throw out. Uh, the first one was. Uh, Monday, Monday morning, uh, my wife and I were going to like uh, going to a doctor's appointment and we stopped at an Italian place that we'd never been in before. Um, She'd sit on the side of the road. Very, very nice countryside spot, a little expensive, actually. But we go in. It's a small dining room. There's two other uh, groups of diners and two of them look quite, quite new age. Um, (laughs) So we sit Uh down and and my Japanese still isn't very good. And um,
1: it's not very Japanese
0: it was not a <laughs> japanese conversation um she's like, yeah. so weird and i'm like and i kind of thought oh, i wonder what they must be talking about new age stuff or whatever and then she's like oh i'm glad our our daughter's not with us and then i wondered if they were talking about something dirty but uh we get out <laughs> she explains that the the woman actually was "Yeah, oh, so weird she was talking about you know channeling and and um and in her case she had a a, a guru or something, and the guru was like, Oh, you're too friendly with God. It did get weird, but I was like, Well, you know, I'm talking about this Wednesday morning, right? <laughs> so I just yeah. thought it was.
1: Well, these coincidences, they do happen all the time. And in the Seth video, one of the things Seth mentions is to pay attention. Well, this is a little different, but it includes it. it, it he says, Pay attention to the straight thoughts that come through your mind, like thieves in the night, you know, that they're, they're important and images and pictures you get. And certainly coincidences like that. According to the Seth material, we're all constantly connected, like telepathically, with each other, which has to do with part of the creating your own reality and attracting, attracting each other. Um, So events like that would happen, and they won't—they wouldn't be accidents. Oh, you mentioned—did you mention the law of attraction? Um,
0: I don't think I have, but I I certainly can.
1: (laughs) No, no, you mentioned—I thought something—the law of because of. The way you know the way you create your own reality uh in uh oh by the way seth doesn't have anything that's dangerous you got to watch out or you know he said he wouldn't he he would talk about against gurus who say they they know everything and listen to me but um the, the so you create your own reality uh, 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 Also. There are no accidents, which is very difficult for some people to get, because it feels like you're blaming somebody. Like uh, if you get mugged on the street, or murdered, or raped, or whatever it is, it would be, you know, part of you creating your own reality in telepathic communication with the the person who acted it out. But um, there's no blame. This doesn't involve blame. This just involves the mechanism of how like events come to be. and, and it's not blame, but if you so if we're all telepathically uh, and also this involves probable realities and time anyway, if 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 you create your own reality and you create it with somebody else, you're not like alone. You're sharing. You're co co creating in this shared reality. So even if you're so, let's say you're leaving your house, and then then the phone rings. You have a choice, well, I'll answer the phone. I won't answer the phone. I'll answer it, but get off quickly. Each one of those will mean you're leaving the house at a different time. So if you don't answer the phone, you're leaving the house at one o'clock. You answer the phone briefly, you're leaving it at 102. You have a conversation, you're leaving it at 105. So you would, in this, according to this theory here, you would choose the time, and let's say you you, you leave at one o'clock, you know, nothing special happens. You leave at 102, you find twenty dollars on the floor, you leave one oh five, a brick falls and it hits you on the head. According to this, you would um, explore outside of linear time all the different probable things that could happen if you if you left at you know if you at 1, or one oh five, you know, if you answered the phone short or long or not at all. And so you would have. Again, outside of linear time, you would experience, you know, the different probabilities is what Seth calls them, of what what would or what could probably happen when you leave the house. And then on this subconscious level, in where you know, like death is is no end really, and, you, you know, you have a bit expansive overview of the physical reality you're in, but then you would decide, choose subconsciously when to leave the house. So that's how there are no accidents in that you you explored the different, all the different probabilities and then chose to leave the house at that particular time. So if the brick falls on your head, that, that would be according to the Seth material, you know, you quote unquote chose it because it's not conscious, but before and you chose it for intimate reasons for whatever you did. And all of these probable realities by the way, and they're infinite, don't end. So if you leave the house at one or two, uh that continues after you make your choice. All the probable realities continue on their own. Same thing with dream realities. So if you have a dream, if you notice kind of you wake up in a dream and already going, like there's no start of the dream, like somebody goes, okay, begin. You kind of, your consciousness goes into the ongoing dream, and then you kind of leave it. So in these dreams, they continue also all our dreams after we wake up, they don't end. We leave it, but they continue. And to them, you know, we might be part of their dream. When it comes to probable realities, I think I said infinite number of them, but to all of those infinite numbers, they're the reality. And we are one of those invisible probable realities, let's say swirling around them or however. So let's say even you're having a fight with somebody, a heated fight, every second you're answering, you idiot, why'd you do that? Don't tell me what to do. Blah, blah, blah. And there's no pauses you would still pause, but it's outside of linear time. And so if you say you're an idiot, I never wanna see you again, that's explored. You could do it in a probable reality. You can go through 20 years. It doesn't matter, it's outside of time. Or if you, if you decide not to say it and you say, okay, let's forget it, that would be explored. So so even in the heat of the moment things, these probable realities and are going on and you're choosing which one well, you wanna say, even though it's happening when you go back to the same moment in linear time, it's just a a fraction of a second later. So this, you create your own reality stuff is much broader and different than uh, you're to blame for if something happens or I just want to be rich. So I should be rich. You know, wishful thinking has nothing to do with it. It has to do with beliefs and the most powerful belief. So if you believe you know, if you say to yourself and you scream it and you complain to everybody, "I want to be rich. I want to have a lot of money." I what's going on? Seth says yeah. What beliefs? It has nothing to do with what the loudest belief you consciously have. It has to do with the deepest and strongest belief. So, if you believe you want to be rich, if you say it and complain, but much more strongly, you believe money is evil or only you know, I'm an artist and artists have to be poor. Whatever, whatever the belief is. The strongest belief is the one that you're going to physicalize, not the one you just consciously want and complain about one way or the other. Like I want to be in a relationship, but then you believe relationships are dangerous, love is bad. That's so you're not going to find a relationship because you're creating the reality, which is really attracting the events and the people who are going to act out your reality. So let's say somebody... Uh, wants to be murdered, uh, you know, I'm saying it in context of what we're saying, wants is in quotes. They would put out the the call, let's say te- telepathy, to somebody who wants to murder somebody. So that person, then you'll meet, you know, he he's hiding behind the bushes. He didn't do anything to six people who walk by, but when you walk by, he jumps out of the bushes. He is not compelled to act that out. What you're really doing is giving him a chance to say, yes, I will murder you or no, I realize now I shouldn't. Thank you very much for helping me learn that. I'm gonna just walk on. If you still wanna be murdered, you have to find somebody else to do it, but not me. So it's that type of, uh, there's a lot of telepathic interaction going on in this theory. And it's not just anything black and white or uh, certainly nothing to do with blame, which which, which a lot of people understandably think because of uh, of the way a lot of people talk about there being no victims, quote unquote. It's very frustrating because there are victims and there are no victims. They're both true. There are no victims from this expansive point of view where you create your own reality, blah, blah. But in physical reality in itself, there are victims, which a victim would be somebody who had no conscious awareness that something was going to happen to him. And he did nothing to consciously like make it happen. So, you know, you could be a victim of war. You could be a victim of a lot of different things. At the same time, you're also still creating your own reality. It's not, they're both true. And a lot of people get that mixed up and only look, they they love the magic of what Seth calls F2, the non-physical reality. They love it because who wants that? How is that? I could fly. I could do these things versus I got to get up. I got to wash my wash my hands and face. You know, I got to go to work. I got to put on my shoes. So one is romantic, amazing. And one is, you know, could be a drudgery at times. So a lot of people who are aware of this stuff just love F2. And they give all the things they have to have 2 there are no victims. So therefore they'll tell their friend, there's no victims. You you created, you know, being robbed. It wasn't this and that. And that's just so unfeeling. And it's so it, it just doesn't it it doesn't follow the importance of physical reality. Yes, it, it's true in the expansive reality, but there are two realities, let's say, going on, the physical and the non-physical. According to Seth, we created, we already had the non-physical, but we created F1, framework one, or the non-physical in order to learn from, not to pretend it's F2, but like linear time. We need linear time. Like in in the expansive thing, there's, there's no time. Time is simultaneous. Things are happening at once. But in our physical reality, there is linear time. So somebody could say, well, time doesn't exist. No, time does exist. In physical reality, which is a real aspect of the greater reality, but it's a real reality, linear time does exist. That's why you say meet me at 12 o'clock. Um, but the, the, it doesn't, it's not, um, in, in order, in order no, okay, I'm going to go back a little bit to the secret. The secret is really half the secret which is you create your own reality, you, you, you can get rich if you want, you, just, you, you attract, you know, the law of attraction, you create your own reality. What's left out of that is the second half, which is in so doing, you are to help and not harm others. And according to Seth, when you learn, you create your own reality and not to harm, hurt or not harm others, you're then ready to leave physical reality behind, reincarnation behind and go on to other realities uh, that there are. But so we the linear, uh, physical reality is like a, a learning place and a tough learning place. But that's where linear time comes in because according to, to the Seth material, there's something called violations and natural guilt. And that, th- those are like an instinct we put in ourselves that um, if you harm somebody, and you're gonna repeat the harmful act. There's a, there's a pause of reflection before we behave and that's where linear time comes in, this pause of reflection. Well, you have time to change your mind. You could reflect and go, you know, I don't, I don't wanna do that. So we have that pause of reflection and that's the he calls, Seth calls that natural guilt and he diff- differentiate that from artificial guilt like types of guilt you learn in church or in culture or in your home or government, whatever. Um, but they could feel the same. But in any case, when he speaks of violations, again, another mistake is that people say, well, you're violating another person. And then they go, well, how can you violate another person if they're creating non-reality? You can't. But it's violating your own um, inner uh, qualities of traits of goodness, love, compassion, and goodness. That That's that's our, our traits. We're, we're born with that. I forget there's another word besides traits. But... So when you do something that harms somebody or something where uh, you're violating yourself, you're violating your, I wish I remembered the stupid simple word, but you're violating that. It's a violation of your own uh, qualities, innate I, you know, qualities.
0: I keep thinking of how uh, Captain Kirk says it uh, in one of the original Star Trek episodes. He's like, yeah, we're barbarians and we murder, but we choose not to murder today.
1: Yeah, that would be a part that would be yeah, that would be like a, a bud, a, a connection to that. Definitely. And because there is the desire in what you just said not to kill. It's not just it's not just accepted as okay. To say we choose not to murder today is saying we know somewhere that is wrong. And according to the Seth material, you know that because human beings have this instinct of what he calls this process of violations of natural guilt. And he says the animals have this, but they have it subconsciously or unconsciously, whatever it is. Humans, to be human, they're trying to consciously have what the animals subconsciously or automatically do. So, the, again, the violations, you're violating your own nature. Maybe that's the word I was looking for. Actually, you're violating I, I, your nature of, of, of you know goodness, compassion, and uh, love, compassion, and goodness. That's the violation. And when you act nice to people... And help people, you're acting in harmony with your nature. So it feels good. It makes you happy. You know?
0: I got a situation and, from uh, last night I wanna throw out then. Um I actually I i think I came about thirty pages short of uh finishing your Q and A book. So eighty eight percent. But man. uh so it was on my mind. I'm walking home through the rice fields late at night. Um, well, on the street, on the street, not through the rice fields. that would be a little wet, but it was raining. It was wet. Now,
1: now, now I'm getting the picture of Vietnam with the rice fields and the people in there and then the bombs coming down. No, okay, no, go ahead.
0: no. But, but there were uh, tons of tiny frogs hopping uh-huh. across the street you know you want to know where the video game frogger came from uh it's the normal japanese street so i'm um, you know I'm, i i don't even I'm, i try not even to swat mosquitoes right so i'm trying not to step on these tiny frogs but it's it's dark it's hard to see i you know i don't think i stepped to one but hey i might have <laughs> with a, you know it would have been hard not to and I, i'm just wondering yeah. like i certainly well, you know, i was going out of my way not to kill any frogs right but i, I very well may have
1: well, What an event like that would be in the create your own reality version of it is you're presenting yourself any questions that arise that are now asking yourself, that would be part of the purpose. Uh, by the way, I don't we I don't mind killing a mosquito, though I apologize. Uh, but we have sometimes snails on the sidewalk here. And those I, I, I protect as much as I could. And sometimes I see a squash one and I feel horrible about it. Um, I, you you could you tap them a little bit with your finger and you could pick them up and put them on the grass. Um, but, okay, I forgot what I was going to say with the other thing when I get, what was your, your story was
0: trying not to that, kill the about about multitude of kill. frogs, right. but probably doing it anyway, because it's so dark and yeah. rainy, it's hard to see. Uh,
1: uh-huh. so oh yeah. So the event events happen sometimes to prod us in a direction, even like somebody dies. Um, and then you're obviously upset and you read this in my book, if you read the book, where, uh, so a person dies and you scream out, oh, no, this can't be. How could this be? And you're right. You know, it can't be because you're thinking it's the end of everything and the person's not around and you'll never hear or see them again. So you're right when you say this can't be because that's like your inner knowledge coming out, helping you saying, no, what you're thinking about death isn't true. Um, and you were... If everything is true that Seth says, you're involved in it. You were telepathically aware before it happened. But if you want to start thinking about why it happened, and um, you 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 would then you would then um focus on you would even ask the question. But you wouldn't ask the question otherwise. Well, why did this happen? You'd say, oh, it's horrible, a random accident, this and that. But you'd say, what am I getting out of it? I'm putting that in quotes. Sometimes a person could die. And it's making, let's say, the parents or lover or somebody left behind, they might decide, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go part time and I'm going to start thinking more spiritually. I'm going to work on this. I always wanted to, to do this and I'm just going to now do it because, you know, time is short or whatever they come up with. So one of the reasons that person died, besides their own personal reasons, you know, is their time to go for any amount of reasons? But one of them is always what is, you know, what is the person going to get out of it? So, um, you know, so, you know, if somebody dies, they might get out of it. You know, I've been not thinking about spirituality for so long. I'm now going to do it. And what you, in my mind, got out of the frog thing was uh, exactly to ask this question. How sacred is life? Is it bad to to kill the frog? Is it not? I couldn't help it. Is that still a problem? All those things would be part of why you found yourself in that situation, I believe.
0: And and it was it was a choice. Uh, I don't have to take that route home. I do almost every night. It is my habit, but, uh, yeah, yeah. but, and, and also by taking that route on the more positive side, uh, I've been doing this for walking this regularly for, uh, five years. I, I walk one train station. I really don't need to, I could get off right at my house, but uh, I take a, I get one early and take a walk. But, uh, you know, I, I since I'm walking by the rice fields, I, very clearly see where they are in any part of the season if it's not cloudy i you know i can follow the stars a lot of nights because we're reasonably countryside enough for it so you know the walk homes are
1: now the frogs would be aware of all this too they would be there for their own reasons which would include giving you the opportunity to accidentally step on them or not it's all we're all connected um so you know, that's all part of the you create your own reality thing that, that most people, in my opinion, don't get. So with the what I was saying with the the secret is that once you do learn, and that the whole, the whole list, about 40 pages of my book is all on this, but once you learn that you create your own reality and you're not you to include helping and not harming others, that's when you're ready to leave the reincarnational cycle behind and move on to other realities in which, the experiences are more intense. There's no linear time. So everything's instant. And we can't even imagine, according to Seth, what this reality would be like. But that's the importance of linear time. So when people get, I, I call it that they have a boner for F2, for non-physical reality. And they go, oh, the time, is, time is simultaneous. You know, they're losing the importance of physical reality and the importance of linear time. And one of the things Seth says he's different about is he talks about the importance of physical reality and the importance of linear time and of bodies and of everything along that. There's not like a hierarchy, like the spiritual is up here and the, the physical is just lowly down here and one is opposed to the other or or whatever it is. You have to escape one for the other. All that, according to the Seth material, uh, it's not, not true. And when I say, by the way, according to the Seth material, It's always including, I I agree with it. If Seth said something and I didn't agree with, I just wouldn't agree with it. I don't uh, agree with something, like I'm not, just because Seth says it, I'm not someone who would, well, forget about what I think. Seth says it's this way, so I'm gonna now think that. You know, that's the not trusting yourself. And that's part of why I left class. Not that I I lost that, but I realized, you know, I should just be asking myself these questions.
0: it seemed it seemed that um Seth managed to actually um offend uh Jane a few times <laughs> going through the books. <laughs> what what
1: that's what he said? Yeah. But uh not most yeah, they were they got along pretty well, uh I would say. Um uh, anyway.
0: But yeah, f- to focus on framework one, um I, you sent me the what, uh, ses musings on the word on the word shit right and shit accepting and a couple right and accepting a few of the um jokes i was like you could almost just replace the word you know samsara for most of the uh instances of the word shit in this uh in this uh part of, in, of the session
1: okay well i don't know what that word means but oh, uh, sam, can... samsara
0: is the um eastern idea of basically f1 the illusion you have to
1: Oh, yeah, that's Uh, all to put uh,
0: you (laughs) crawl through samsara, crawl crawl through the shit before you um come out here.
1: That's all. See, that's reminding me, like the illusion. The illusion, first of all, Seth sometimes uses that word, and it's a really poor word because it it, it applies. If something's an illusion, it's not real. Oh, it's just an illusion. From the non-physical expansive point of view, it's not real in that it's we're creating the objects from F2. We're always in F2. And F one like when we're right now, we're not just in physical reality. We're blinking in and out each moment, and half the time we're we're non-physical still, doing the telepathic communications, and the other half we're eating our slice of pizza, you know, or having this discussion. So you're you're with we're uh we're physical and not physical at the same time. And uh, I don't know. go ahead. I guess ironically, uh, my. You know, I teach. Oh, oh! I remember. But, I'm just sorry to interrupt. again. Oh, go ahead. That's go ahead. that's why the illusion it, it implies it, it forgets it downplays the physical. No, it's an illusion. Yeah, but I'm happening. I, I'm i watching TV. No, you're not. It's an illusion. Only from non-physical reality is it illusion, but it's real for us. And we created F1 physical reality in order for it to be different from F2 because we already had F2. So physical reality is crucial to our spiritual development. So when people in in, Eastern religions also, you know, put it down and say, oh, it's an illusion. You have to go beyond it. You have to, the Buddhist with no desire. None of that, it's not even possible to have no desire. You're having the desire to have no desire. But in any case, yeah, physical reality, it, it, there's always a duel going on. On the one hand, he by instead of illusion, Seth mostly refers to it as a camouflage reality. You know, in other words, there's more to it than meets the eye. I like to call it a, a reality of appearances. Things appear to be something, you know, but they're not. Like if you throw a ball to somebody else, it appears to be moving like across the sky and to the other person and he catches it. But in the more expansive reality, you're conjuring up that ball every instant. In a slightly different position, like a motion picture flickering through the, you know, motion picture camera. So th- it appears to our physical sense- senses that the ball is just seamlessly moving to the other person, where in reality it would really be blinking in and out in a slightly different position. Uh, so you know, so that that's the way that we perceive things. And I know I'm all over the place here, but uh, we, with UFOs. I had done a show on UFOs Seth talks about UFOs. But in UFOs, people always talk about the latest technology. Now, people are saying, oh, we're, we're a simulation. We're a computer simulation. It's a, a whatever, the, the matrix and this and that, there's a glitch. I believe the computer, they're just assigning the latest technology to the, to the event. Objects flicker in and out all the time. So when people see objects flickering in and out or anyway, they're just pictures seeing how objects actually come into existence. It's not that it's some kind of computer simulation that's putting it here and then it's and we're something different and we're real. And No, it's not a computer simulation. It's that's how objects come to be. They flicker in and out each instant as we do while we're having this conversation or eating pizza and everything else. So that's That's the illusion. It's it's real. It's, it's an illusion, but it's totally real. And, you know, Seth discusses all this as well. And I believe it as well. It just makes uh, total sense. So uh, when people say it's in, I hate the word illusion, it's just such a wrong term. But sometimes people use it. That's why also with the word with the word God, I'm sorry, Seth says all that is most of the time, because God you know, has a lot of baggage to it. And all that is doesn't. But I'm sorry I interrupted.
0: Oh, no problem. I was just saying maybe my my F1 classroom is my classroom. Um, I teach basically kids 18 and under all the way to like two years old English here in Japan. And, uh, you know, it's, it's my classroom. I'm kind of in charge, right? So some of it's experience, but some of it is i would say somewhat telepathic um i've gotten to the point where i know a kid's about to throw a ball at my head and i i actually tend to impress them now with a quick reflex catch because i know it's coming <laughs> uh uh-huh. yes yester- yesterday I, I just in a podcast where i talked to someone about um children's hero ampaman he's a cartoon character in japan that all the kids like and he has a a punch it's called an om punch and just yesterday, there was a kid. I'm like, I'm pretty sure this kid's about to try and punch me in the crotch, probably with an arm punch. But he made a great decision. He turned in the other direction and then yelled arm punch and punched away from me. So good for him.
1: Yeah, and you would, be in, you would be in telepathic communication about that.
0: I was. I was yeah. like, hey, I'm not yeah. about to get punched uh, today.
1: <laughs> yeah. And he would, but with him, that would be part of his choice also not to do it.
0: Exactly. Although I have had the kids choose otherwise sometimes, but yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, it's just one of those little examples, making the classroom where I'm technically the teacher, my uh, laboratory to learn as well. Right.
1: Yeah. Every once in a while, by the way, I'm able to click on the zoom that on the bottom and it comes up for a second and then it disappears, but that, it's, here, you know, there, that doesn't matter. Um, I'm, I'm used to it. I'm keeping my eyes shut, which I probably wouldn't do if we were talking um, most of the time. Okay, so we covered the physical reality. We covered, uh, uh, you know, simultaneous time is another one that people get, find confusing. And I also write about that in the book. And the way I explain it, so in simultaneous time, you could, um, you know, die in 2021 and be reborn in uh, 1999. You know, it's not just a forward progression. So if you're born in a, let's say you die in, in 2021, and you're born in 2020, let's say, you could meet your reincarnational self. You'd be both existing in the same timeline, but you'd still be like totally different people, the same as if you were born in 1710, and whatever. But you know, but but you could meet. Seth calls those counterparts. So you could meet these counterparts. Uh, there th- supposedly a, a, a lot of them. Um, so, but with simultaneous time, instead of looking at time like a line, thin line that gets longer and longer. I look at it one of a few ways, but one way is like an onion getting fatter and fatter. So it's not like new things don't happen. And we do have free will and new things happen all the time. But it it adds to it in an expansive, fattening way instead of one line. So if something happens in 1710 or 1910 or now, that's just fattening that onion you know, of your life, let's say. Uh, as opposed to a line, because a line, it's only like 2021 and it's that one line and that's all there is. So to help with simultaneous time, uh, the fattening onion image I found helpful.
0: Well, it's interesting uh, how some things very far away in time are actually more real. So um, yesterday, uh, let's say I was probably zoning out while walking outside that that time. It's not real anymore. It has no bearing on anything. But I have a pretty firm memory of, say, my six-year-old birthday party. You know, I can remember some sights, sounds, details, you know, a few other birthdays are a good one because we kind of imprint those. A moment in 2005 where I was bicycling down the street, I was about to leave Japan for the first time and just kind of realized, you're not finished here yet. You're going to have to come back. And it was just a moment where nothing particularly, I mean, mentally something happened, Mm -hmm. but I can remember what the wind felt like. I remember what the temperature was at the time, all of that. So that moment from mm, 16 years ago is more real than that kind of a throwaway moment yesterday. Um,
1: definitely, because I, I have one of my poems, a uh, line in it is time stops at our pupils borderline. And then what's important once it enters our mind is the emotion. We remember things by emotion. There's no more a linear memory thing, but it's the, the very strong emotional things we remember. And like you say, we'll forget something yesterday, but we'll remember something 10 years ago. And I don't know, did you ever see that Salvador Dali painting? It's, it's called something, like illusion of time, something about time. And it's those dripping clocks. They're dripping off of trees and dripping off a wall. It has to do with memories. So that's the same thing. The memories are diff- these different clocks that are dripping. From the tree branches and from a wall and all over the place, so if you ever get to see that Salvador Dali painting called something memories persistence
0: of time.
1: That's it. That I think that's it. So to me, that relates to everything you're you're talking about, how uh, memories uh, come to us stick stick with us because of their emotional strength, not because of the linear time period. That so that fits with that.
0: Now, you were mentioning that F2 is often enticing, and I I try and live in F1, but F2, I do, the idea of uh, dreams in particular, I've I've only managed to do the uh, full-on from wake into lucid dreaming maybe a few times, but, you know, I just think about, like, in that case, I'm getting ghosts' images, is that creating, and then you kind of enter one of those images, and now you're in the dream, right? So am i is that something i'm creating is that something that was already there i'm
1: sorry i'm i i had to not listen for a minute i hear i noticed that the air conditioner is on i don't know how long it's been on and if it's yeah please lower it it's in i could hear it as as wind in my headphones it's on they're just so yeah i i just noticed i heard it i don't know if it's been there for the past half hour so about about
0: one minute one minute, oh, okay, probably. Good. And I was like, it's probably hot in there. So I thought I'd wait and no, yeah, say no. something about That's it.
1: That's good. <laughs> say, you could say, say say it immediately. So can you tell the story again? Because I was waiting to, I noticed that the wind was blowing.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, I wanted to talk about my F2 observations, entering a dream state and just your theory on or, or Seth's ideas on what I'm seeing is uh, the idea of, waking up very early in the morning and then you know, letting your body fall back to sleep and what i get in that case is kind of ghost images slowly forming and eventually one of those ghost images becomes a place and then i kind of enter the place and now i'm in the dream and i'm reading through your book the idea that these are you know actual existing places in the universe because i always thought oh i've created this dream state for however long the dream takes and then it's gone but that's actually not uh what seth's ideas were on that
1: yeah the dream everything would continue and to me this is why it physically it manifests itself as the ever-expanding universe if you keep adding probable realities and dream realities to reality to the universe it would expand all the time as the physical manifestation i think everything has its physical manifestation someplace and i think seth said that too so yeah that would be the expanding universe and that would be if you know if you're imagining it it's it's on one level real someplace
0: yeah the last time i i kind of managed that level of um uh main lucidity was um it was just like a seaside restaurant. I just went in and I, maybe I wasted my experience. I just started looking at things in the restaurant and being like, how is my brain creating this much detail? You know, cause I yeah. could look at a faucet and see the reflection. There were posters on the walls
1: and, you know, I'm just like, this is a lot of detail. It's not wasting. It's not wasting anything in the Seth video. Seth says, you know, nothing is trivial, but you're doing the same thing in physical reality. Uh, you know, you're creating all those details also. So this is just another reality or in another, you know, a plane dimension that you're creating it just as much as here. I remember I was once to, with, with with Ricky, my friend, we were sitting in a park and we were talking about this, you know, reality creation. And we were wondering what about the leaves that are blowing in the wind in the corner of our eye, we were in a park, you know, do we, are we creating uh, that, you know, that, 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 blowing that moment or a person who walks by far away that we could barely see. We create, we, and we would have to be creating it because that would be part of it. Otherwise there would be random events occurring. And then if random events occur, then you're no longer creating your own reality. Just sometimes. But yeah, so, yeah but I... in your, in your dream, it's just exactly the same as in physical reality. One of the things Seth suggests maybe in that video is look at your waking everyday reality as if it was a dream. And so what do things symbolize? You know, like what does the sidewalk symbolize? What is the rice field? If you're having a dream about a rice field, well, what would that rice field symbolize? But not in a dream. Think of physical reality as just a dream. And I put just in quotes, as a dream. And then you'll start looking at the symbols that are equivalent to your dream symbols, but they're happening in your immediate everyday life. Those reality creations of the details of of a faucet or whatever you said just would be the same here. They they would just be the same same mechanism in place.
0: Well, yeah. That's where uh, a lot of, you know, Zen masters and such say uh, washing the dishes is one of the best meditations you can do.
1: It is not I like I like washing dishes sometimes. First I fight it, but then when I do it, I do get into a I think about different poems I might want to write or different things. It is that day. you know I don't officially meditate, but I get into that state. I call it the twilight zone state. Um that's why I, you know, I'm up late. I don't like first of all, I don't like transitions. I don't like going to bed and then I don't like waking up. But the twilight zone state is when it gets to be I don't but for you I mean for anybody generic you for any time, midnight, five o'clock, four o'clock there's some time where you start getting tired and the wall between the conscious and the subconscious start to break down and they intermix. To me, that's a very creative state. And, and that's one of the reasons why I like to stay up very late because I'm taking advantage of this very creative state, which I just happen to call the Twilight Zone. Uh, where that occurs and getting into that twilight zone state also when i'm washing dishes that could happen so tell it, buddha
0: yeah. that i agree with him uh, uh, funnily enough i probably hit that state most recently i've been hitting that state mostly on my my lunch breaks <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm I, you know, i'm not i guess i can't officially say i'm a zedden buddhist or anything because i never talked to anyone at these places well no one's there it's in the countryside but i just i hang out at temples a lot Especially during my lunch break. So
1: N- notice the countryside. That's the word you use to describe Seth's uh, in your imagination, where the Seth classes occurred. Yeah, yeah. In the in the countryside. So it's like it ties in to this. Uh, I'm just moving my glasses around. Images you get when you're daydreaming, or whatever you want to call it, at work. When you, I was you, younger, you. What were, you, were well, you just said? Didn't you just say you imagine yourself in the countryside?
0: Yeah, yeah. So and
1: that's recent, that's when you're at work, right?
0: Oh, no, no, I'm not imagining myself, I'm, uh, I, I work in, like, uh, not okay. a Do dense you... area so I'm going physically going to countryside temples and hanging out there during my lunch breaks.
1: Oh, you physically, well then it ties in, not as an imagination but the, the countryside and if you want to think of physical reality again as a dream image or a symbol but in any case, there is a connection between spiritual things and countrysides in, in your life
0: it seems so. And um, when I was younger, I was more of a city boy. I, I grew up in the suburbs of Atlanta. So that's saying nothing to someone that grew up in Queens, Manhattan. But <laughs> I, went, we, uh, I was a Boy Scout and we went on like a two week hiking trip and came back and I we went downtown and I told my dad, oh, I didn't feel like I really came home until we came downtown and we're in the city. But that's so different to where i am now where i would much rather go up a mountain and uh, be around nobody uh-huh
1: yeah well people do that like uh wherever they could do that in the crowded city also yeah and by oh, the yeah, way you... i think it's i think it's persistence of memory that the salvador dali painting not persistence of time persistence of memory
0: yeah, Persistence of Time is a called. metal album, now that I think about it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. He was going yeah. to write that album, but he didn't get involved. So persistence of, me- of memory. And again, that's what you were saying. Time. It, the persistence of mer- memory is tied with time. And that's why he has all those dripping clocks all over the place. And that's like the inner landscape of your memories. So right. you're totally correct, in my opinion, on that one.
0: In the place I live now, on the other side of the world where I grew up, like i said i started taking those little little steps to places farther away and farther away and finally it's like there was just a magnet that was always dragging me here even the first place i lived in japan wasn't quite the right place
1: uh, and you were open to follow your feelings right
0: yeah yeah uh, although sometimes yeah. i wonder if you know if, if there was a past life where i'm here and i just like oh i should do something else or if i wanted to see if i could get dragged back uh Despite these
1: things, these questions are always possible, but again, according to the set material, the present he says the present is the point of power. That means from the present, you could contact and learn the past, the future, so you don't have to like think about that it's a past life thing, or even if it is, you in the present, you have you could contact all of it. So the present is the point of power, you're not, uh. A victim or at the mercy of something that happened in the past necessarily and so whatever happened to you possibly in a past life it is very possible it's also you know you're still conne- you're connected to it in the present as well because the yeah. present is well i like to think it of as a hour. fun
0: thought experiment
1: <laughs> yeah you know, and it might very well be the case i don't see why not it just all depends on you know like the all of this stuff and this is what scientists don't like about it it's all very subjective so to me, if I'm having a dream about someone who who di- who's who died, my tell to me is the dream is super realistic it's like you know like you could knock on something and, and you can hear it it's like physical reality almost those dreams to me are, are when it comes to people who who've passed on um it, uh those those that's telling me no, that person's here. We are talking. Be, you know, it's happening. And of course, I could be wrong, but what does it matter? I believe it. And so, so that's what I believed. and uh, some and but also the, the tricky thing is things could also be symbols. you know, so uh, you could be symbolizing you know, the person who passed on could also just be a symbol of something or he could be there or she, you know, could actually be there visiting you in your dream. And, you know, this is, I don't know if you've been following the the fake Seth things that go on in the current modern days here, postmodern days, where a lot of, you know, Seth said he would only communicate via Jane in order to maintain the integrity and authenticity of the material. You know, so if they were like, and during, when Jane was around, a lot of people contacted them, and they were a hundred percent sure that Seth was communicating with them. And Seth said this, and contradicts what he what you said. He said, and um, every single one that was like swear up and down that it was Seth. Seth refuted them. He said, "I'm sorry, you you using me as a symbol, but I wasn't there or I wasn't doing it. You know, you have your own. You don't need Seth. You have your own, you know, entity. You have your own Seth equivalent in you, and." And today, though, today and since Jane died, the same thing is happening. People are popping up saying, I'm now speaking for Seth. Seth is now communicating with me. And the same theory holds true, that Seth wanted to maintain the integrity and authenticity of his material. So when you know it's it's Jane Roberts doing Seth, that's the Seth material. If these people were correct, Seth would have either been lying or not not changed his mind and no longer care about the integrity of the material and instead of just coming through one person he now chooses to come through anybody who just happens to ask so that's an ongoing thing happening nowadays with i, I call them fake sets um cuz I maybe I'm not that clever with the name <laughs> but that that's that's what I came up with so this whole idea you know the, oh, this is going back into symbols. I believe what Seth said, and I, I have like a 21 quote. It's really good. All the time Seth said it, and or Jane, and he explained why he's not, he would never communicate to somebody else. Um, so um, so I had all these quotes. And Seth, uh, I forgot again. Okay. I guess now I'm starting to lose my mind. So that's good. <laughs> but... Um, Okay, it had to, oh, these fake Seths coming through, I remember. So these people, I believe all, all of them, either they're just lying, which I, I'll tend not to believe, although you know I, I just like to look on the good side of people, or they're, they're using Seth this, as a symbol. Like Seth is symbolizing their own inner communication, which Seth said would happen. And if you don't recognize a symbol as a symbol, then you see it as a fact. And that's what I think is happening with these people who say, "Oh no, Seth, I'm communicating with Seth in my dream, or I'm speaking for him now, or automatic writing. All these things came up when Jane was around. Seth refuted each one. And Rob made the point that before Jane's books, where is where was all these Seth things coming up? You know, there was no one saying they were communicating for Seth. And I'm adding on top of that, because people say, well, and this is true, this part of it, Seth was expecting to have 40 years of work with Jane and he only had about 20 or 21. So now some people say, well, there's 19 more books left to be written or 19 more years of books. So he's he's not, he's still, he didn't know Jane was going to die. So now he's coming around to finish the material, which, you know, which would make no sense because it would just ruin his material, watered down, and it would... um be, it would just make, yeah, and my wife was say how he, he said he couldn't do it without Jane anyway, but if there was all this new, and Rob, both I could tell you about that in a minute, but if all these new information, new books were coming out, and not just watered down, distorted things that Seth already said, <clears throat> where is it? Where is that new stuff? What are these new fascinating things that weren't in any Seth book, and it's so fascinating that Seth wanted to get it out, but couldn't? So on any level, that that doesn't exist. Seth said if he tried to come through other people, if, he, if it was possible, it would be greatly distorted. And he said he doesn't want to have anything distorted. And because of his connections with Rob and Jane, he's giving material that he says is the least distorted as possible coming from his dimension to our dimension. So distortion was very, very important to him. So. Um, so that's the my symbol story. So they're using it as symbols. Seth is a symbol, and they believe it's real. <clears throat> and um, and that, that that's the symbol part tying into whatever your dream waking reality. We look at it as our symbols. You know, the sidewalk is a great symbol, or roads. Where is it leading to? It's our path of life. There's a lot a lot going on all the time.
0: I got a friend who just, uh, you know, uh, we we live in a valley, so he's just looks at a mountain, and says, "I'm going up that one today." Uh huh. A little more hardcore than I am. I I tend to walk the same paths uh, a lot of the time. <laughs>
1: uh-huh. so, uh huh. So, but you guys have mountains to to do that with, where yeah, most people in the cities have sidewalks.
0: Oh, I I, I I'm a guy and that count the cracks or step over them and you know think about what i'm doing sometimes uh again you know, I, I, with the frogs i was looking real close to the road last night
1: <laughs> i don't count the cracks i i step over them yeah um, i've done
0: a of both <laughs> depends how yeah. bored i am but uh yeah, um, Like for me, yeah, of course I haven't done that. I, I do remember a few years ago encountering someone teaching me my dream. This was actually a, a female presence having lessons and then having a dream where I actually took this person to the train station. They went off and I haven't seen them since. <laughs> Probably what? about 10 dreams with this, this no, entity. Th- those are the...
1: This- those are the symbols we come up with to make sense of the dream. You know, according to Seth, we, we wouldn't we wouldn't even know what was going on in the dream. but we, And the dreams happen in deep sleep. And the REM period is when you're translating the dream to yourself. And we come up with symbols like the train that we can make sense out of. So one of the things was uh, Jane once had a dream about, all she remembers was about a leaky tub. <clears throat> and then Seth told her, well, you see, it was a lot a of lot going on that night. Your body, you see your body as a leaky tub because you feel like you're middle-aged and getting older. You visited Rob in an out-of-body when he was drowning on a ship. And that, you just, you don't remember that, but that was the leaky tub. And the last thing he said was, you were visiting a friend in California who you hadn't seen for 20 years. Her last name was Tub, T-U-B-B, and her water was just breaking and she was pregnant. And a water was just breaking in the pregnancy and you were there in the living room. So our dreams are much more than we remember. And we, and we remember them as symbols. So Jane just remembered what kind of nonsense, nothing dream. I had a dream about a leaky tub. So what, but you know, Seth explained how it was so much more than that. And then in each, each memory, each dream episode, I'm sure, you know, obviously there was much more going on, not just she was visiting Rob, when he was drowning on a ship, but there had to be a lot more. And so, yeah. So when you're, so you're little, not little in quotes, I don't mean it in a meaning way at all, but your little experience about having the person go on a train, there could be so much more tied to it. And the train is just your symbol of most well, people leave on trains. So I'm going to oh, remember sure, that yeah. it was a train, <laughs> you know, that's what I came up with, but who knows, you know, maybe it was a past life. You were a train conductor or somebody you knew was killed on a train. Yeah, there could have been all these other things, but this is just, you know, conjecture at this point. So, so getting back to the subjective nature, um, as I was saying, so I, I would say, I would never say for sure that I had a dream. You know, if you read the book, How My Son uh, Died in 1996, uh, car act, car hit and run. So I would have a dream, let's say, that he was in. So I would say, you know, I, I, it seems like or it feels like that Dandy, uh, you know, visited me in the dream or he did visit me. And because of the reality, the way it felt, it felt so real, this and that. But that is absolutely no scientific proof whatsoever. You know, It's just subjective. And a lot of these things are subjective. Although the exper- experiments they did at the beginning, th- those were not subjective. They were more scientific based. Uh, I forget now the tests that they put Seth through. Um, so, but science has a problem. They don't understand the importance of consciousness, which is connected to subjectivity. so they 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 go out of their way to dismiss anything you know that's not doesn't fit their official science world, like even these UFO videos that come up that are actually that the military put out because that's all they know about. They don't know about all the years of research and videos and everything else but but, there's this guy who I usually like on t v, Neil. Tyson something
0: Neil deGrasse Tyson.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've heard him on TV three, three times, I think about these videos. And he's according on this instance, he's a full, a total, like a debunker type guy. He was saying, well, they might've been, you know, there could be, there was just a, a glitch in the machine, in the machinery, these things, even if they're new, they have glitches and they could pick up things He's leaving out that, well, this is exactly what they, they saw, they eyewitnessed. It's not that the machine picked it up. They saw exactly what the machine picked up. And you can't say that they saw the glitch, that the machine projected a glitch out into the sky, you know. But he leaves that out. And he leaves out that there were witnesses and other witnesses besides the people in the plane in that. There was also, I think there was radar sometimes and other, what he called machines. So he'll put out this false information. And I, I, I texted him about, it. not texted, whatever you do, tweeted him about it, because he'll listen to me. <laughs> and uh, I said, you're leaving out. I said, you got to do your research. You can't say it's a glitch, probably a glitch in the machine because, because they're seeing it. They're eyewitness military pilots seeing it while they're watching it on their machine. So you can't call it a glitch. Um, and they all took that into, into consideration before they even released the videos. So he would just say either it's a subjective, if there was no video of it, he would say to all people who see a UFO, well, it's, they're, they're imagining it, it's subjective. You know, eyewitness testimony is the worst type of testimony, which it is in court. And um, But here there was video, but he still was finding a way around it. And then, you know, people say, well, the videos are always unclear. Yeah, most of the time, because it's a shaky thing. And one of the things Seth said is that for a UFO to come into our uh, level, our plane, it's remarkable that we could see them at all. Because they have one, you know, I don't know what you'd call it. I forgot what he called it. One form that, that's in their reality. And to come into our reality it, it doesn't naturally just comes here. It, it, it changes shape and it even flickers a lot in order to maintain its visibility here. So there are explanations about why things are hard to see or transparent, you know, they're transparent because they don't really, their their substance on some level doesn't, it's not from here. And that's, it's difficult for them to maintain. Yeah, so that's how science uses this subjectivity uh, science dismisses all all this subjectivity when really they should pay some attention to it and consciousness. You know, let's look at Carl Sagan. His famous thing is extraordinary. And you probably know the quote better than I do. Extraordinary, uh, comments need extraordinary evidence or something like that? Do you know it's do you know that pretty quote? I
0: know the quote it might be claims, uh, extraordinary claims. Yeah. Is that what you said? <laughs> but
1: what it really yeah, something like that. Extraordinary claims are extraordinary. but it really what he really should have said is extraordinary claims need extraordinary research. Not they you don't have the evidence unless you do the research. So you're not going to get the evidence uh, until you do the research. So extraordinary claims Need extraordinary research, not just need extraordinary evidence that you don't look for. And that and was one extraordinary
0: one, experience, really. <laughs> yeah. You can't well, know something a, until yeah. you've experienced it. Like I, you know, I can't know that space is out there and I can fly around and you know, the the space station until I've been there. And I'd need to do some hard work to do that. I'd need to get my science credentials, you know, train to do that. And once I've done it, now I know.
1: But they could do, they, you could do research without the experience. In other words, what UFO researchers do, they go to a place, they see three holes in the ground where the people said the, the UFO was. They see the tops of trees are broken and singed where it looks like the, the UFO came down at. Um, there's radioactivity going on. So, so there's a, there is a lot of, I would call it scientific research you could do without ever having seen the UFO yourself. Oh, and then, yeah. of course, you know, and then, of course, there's the cattle mutilation. Um, what's it, Linda, Linda Moulton Howe does great, does great work and, uh, on, on this stuff for, for decades, since 79, I think. But she's caught up, and I say but, that's only my subjective thing. She's caught up in this computer simulation that maybe reality is just a computer simulation. And to me, it's really we're witnessing the creation of a- objects, how they are naturally created with this flickering and coming in and out and people look, see that and say, Oh, that's like a, a computer simulation. You see, how oh, it's flickering. That's like a matrix. It's flickering. So, um, so she believes that. And another thing I don't believe, I, I, I believe in UFOs that they are totally. And I had, I had a show my wife and I, a cable TV show on them. And we interviewed, it was called UFOs Today. We interviewed uh, like Whitley Streber and other people, the guy the, the guy who did the hypnosis with the missing time and also ordinary, quote-unquote ordinary people with experiences and other researchers and this and that. Um, so, but one of the other things that, okay. So, so Deb, I'm now losing my mind because when I go into a sidetrack, I don't remember what I was going to say. Um, yeah, we're talking about UFOs. And it was an important point I wanted to uh, make.
0: Linda Moulton Howe.
1: Oh, Linda Moulton Howe. One of the other things that I don't, so I agree with all these things and other dimensions. And, uh, but a lot of people today, when it's, it's uh, popular, is like there's this intergalactic, there's this war going on. You know, there's the good aliens and the bad aliens, and they're trying to take over this and enslave that. And to me, that's just an extension of cowboys and Indians. You know, it's us versus them, either, you know, the America versus Russia. As I said, cowboys versus Indians. You go further back in the day, it was the angels versus devils. That this whole mindset of war, of of whatever, uh, this 2 P- conflict, is just being carried over today. So it's a computer simulation, and there's this, you know, 20th century, t- second century thinking about the good guys and the bad guys all, you know, at war with each other. And um, it's just, so I think that as there is a physical evolution, I believe there has to be, and this is again my just conjecture or inference, I don't know what it is, you know, that there's a spiritual evolution, that you don't live for a million years or 500,000 years, and are still fighting as cowboys and Indians. Uh, so that's another thing that, that I uh, disagree, disagree with. I'm saying these, what does that say, Debbie? I'm just saying with the technology that they would kill us right now. The what? With the technology, if they wanted to. The yeah, wanted yeah, to yeah. To, she had so the technology. We're so looking. So yeah, would they, they would have us and, and if they wanted to kill us, my wife's pointing out, they could have done it a long time ago or enslave us or anything. But so Linda Moulton Howe, just in those two, I would say, For for the bulk of her work, small areas, because she does so much in so many areas. But I would think in those areas, she's a little off. But I really uh, respect uh, the work she does. She's like a a bestial machine getting her work done.
0: Yeah, as I said at the start, I, I came to... Seth's material in the first place, by reading a book about the secret space program, which I think gets into some of that sort of stuff. And I don't buy it, but it's interesting. It just led me uh, the direct, you know, you read something, there's an offline uh, reference. What My, is the
1: secret, what is the? I'm sorry to interrupt uh, and you could continue, but I was just going to ask if you want to get to it. What is the secret space program and how would that in any way tie in with Seth? Um, it's it's just it's kind of wacky stuff it's
0: um not quite conspiracy it's it's wacky stuff it's not it's just uh the idea that oh the military is actually has these technologies and they build secret spaceships and maybe you know star trek showing you it's pretty out there but there's a mention in there just like all people who work for the program are required to read seth and the law of one and that's what led me to read nine of the seth books
1: that's a cra- that. I, that first of all is is amazing. <laughs> it's incredible. It's like it, they were required to read, uh, you know, a, a cookbook from 1957 before they did it, uh, because it's so. Anyway, I don't even know if that made sense. Oh, uh, what I that's told what you, you that you mentioned. Makes
0: sense. It's just what happened.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what. But you said the law of one. You didn't say the law of attraction. And the law of one, also to me, is is a mis- is a something that's not. Because, at my understanding of the law of one, and it could be limited, is that we're here now, and then when you die, you go back and join this oneness that we're all one, and you become one again. But according according to Seth, I'm having blinking, but I don't know what. Doesn't matter. According to Seth, um, you 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 your personality never is never annihilated. It never it, it doesn't get swallowed up in some oneness. Or some nirvana, it doesn't get uh you know anything. It it it's all it's there, it's inviolate that your personality as it is does not get lost or swallowed up. So yes, you are a part of this one, but you're also a separate individual and a separate consciousness, and the two, you know, the two exists. Get it? That you know, so that that is a, a little disagreement I may have with the law of one, if I do understand it correctly. Um, yeah, I
0: think, but yeah. And again, yeah, maybe reading both those would, uh, well, it'd give you things to think about to contra- where yeah. they do contradict, but uh, that's again, but, but, mental but, f- thought experiments. But,
1: but, but for you to say, and you're saying it, <laughs> that <laughs> there's this secret space program
0: Oh, I'm not saying there with... is one. I just read a book on
1: no, it. No, 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 Forget that there's one or not. It's immaterial. But for you to say that the book says there's a secret space program that has UFO, that has UFO stuff. Now, I think that's, that's very possible I, myself that from captured UFOs, they could have, uh, you know, have these things. You know, I would say it's, I don't know, 50-50 even. But, but if there were these, uh, a secret space program, that did what you said, and now they have whatever you said. That they would re- have required reading the Seth material, or well, certain books from that. That's like incredible to me. <laughs> yeah, that they, so- uh, it's not a bad idea, I guess. I think everybody could benefit from reading the Seth material. But they, that they would have the consciousness to believe that not only is this secret thing happening, and we captured you know, crashed UFOs and we down, not down, down investigated them, whatever it's called. And we created our own stuff with them. And on top of that, that's all happening. And you should also read uh, certain books in the Seth material. That's, that's, uh, I think that's great if they're asking them to do that, because it's giving a whole deeper dimension to what they believe.
0: I did that. Uh, Here we go. Uh, The author is uh, Michael E. Sala. He's written about four or five books on this
1: wow i'll look him up to make i guess he read the set material
0: yeah or because this this book this book did not get deeply into it right it was just um it's just a weird offhand reference but hey that's the way it works you get the weird offhand reference that leads you somewhere else that's exactly perfect way to get into this sort of stuff
1: exactly (laughs) exactly but in a book that I don't think there would be anything that's an offhand reference. If he mentioned it even as an offhand reference, since he included it in, in a book, it has some, you know, I, I think he hoped people would check it out somehow. But it's amazing, just amazing that that would. I know there are some famous people who were involved with Seth. That, um, what's a woman? Uh, Snow, Phoebe Snow, I think w- was involved with Seth. You know, Richard Bach, who wrote Jonathan Livingston Seagull. He he came to class once I wasn't there, um, and mo- Robert Downey Jr. Believe it or not, he I think was I read certain things he said about Seth. The rare rare amount. Most people, Seth goes under the radar. One reason is Seth and Jane never pushed it, but you could find Seth, like mentioned in that book, in books by it's not tupac it's what's the guy's name the the spiritual guy uh um i forget his name but he it sounds like tupac but it's totally nothing like that no there's a, he, but... no no it's more like tupac <laughs> <laughs> okay
0: now i did read um a few years ago the um maybe it was one of the abraham books and it just sounded kind of like um dumbed-down Seth material, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I believe that's
1: what it is. Um, I, now, the question is, are they sincere or not? Uh, uh, some people think they're not. I think, I, again, I go for that they are. But a lot of people, what, there's a famous guy who writes these books he, he, in the cult, popular culture, and uh, revered kind of in this way by, Oprah, by uh, Oprah and other people. But you know, he makes reference in, in the intro or in the back of the book or something to the Seth material, um, to Seth. And other people that they, they mentioned him as an influence, but there's no more really credit or anything given to Seth. And one reason, as I said, is Jane didn't like publicity. And some people, a person I, I, I know for a long time, maybe not a long time, maybe a year on and off, just a few times, but in the year, he wanted to do a Seth movie called Incident in Elmira, but and, um, and you know, and I thought that was a great idea. Do the movie, and then then uh, there'll be three other movies. You know, people do three other movies, like like that happened with that Lolita murder, Butefuca. There was like one movie on her, and then there were three movies on her. If you remember who she was, yeah, yeah. the Joey, Joey Butterfuco. Yeah, but you the can't pe- other people, name. yeah, and there were like three movies that came out, but other people no matter how much I jumped and cursed and calmly explained, f- turned them down for some reason. But he had, he said he's, he says he's involved with movies and he had, had the script in his head, in his mind. He already has people who are going to pay for it, whatever they're called uh, a meeting set up with them to get funding and everything. And it was, he, they, he couldn't get permission to use the Seth quotes like Seth, Quotes or anything in the movie, and so he said, "Forget it." He he he, he said, "I'm not going to deal with these people." I said, "I'll be in. I'll go in between. You don't have to deal with them. Let me try." But but nothing worked. So if he would have made his movie about ten years ago, I imagine that then it would be a movie. There'd be two more movies. that would be talked about on TV. You know, there'd be somebody on some on these millions of talk shows that are around. But Seth, uh, you know, it still exists, of course, and people do read it, but it is not as, and I'm, I could be wrong on this, it doesn't seem to be as, at least in the public discourse, as popular as things like the Law of Attraction and, uh, I don't know, whatever other books that might be around, but uh, that's what I'm try- I am try to do in my way is to help uh help spread that word, you know, that uh, the Seth material, like you were aware of it and other people are, but as we speak, and, and that goes out as an interview, you know, maybe other people pick it up like with your teaching and you teach somebody. And when I was a teacher, the same thing, you teach a person something and you, that's it, but that person could learn something important and teach his children or his friends. So it, it like mushrooms out and you're affecting many more people than, than you're even aware of you know, in a positive way. So same thing with these interviews, you know. Yeah.
0: Well, that's one of the reasons I wind you on, because I think this is, and yeah. you know, just it's almost like uh, learning, adding, you know, thinking circuits to your brain, right? You don't have to believe in anything here. It's just like, hey, why don't you think about this, think about this, and your your mind expands in that way.
1: Yeah. When when you said you, you know, you teach you teach English there. And I was in a school called Aviation High School in Queens. And it was mostly it was like fifty, eight percent Hispanic, and then ten percent this and that. But you know, English wasn't the first language for many people there. And some were in the like your type of class, E S L, English, you know, English is the secondary language, whatever it meant. But so I realized in trying, uh, and I taught one of those classes once, but in English, we have, we don't change the word to fit us. Like in Spanish, there's, um, there's, you know, it's baseball. So they changed it in in that word they make it baseball. So it sounds like that in Spanish, but we keep all the, all the spellings when, when, when we take a word from someplace, we keep the original spelling. So, so we have many more crazy spellings for things, and and many more synonyms, and like laughter, the word laughter, as you know, has no f in it. It's laughter, but if you put an s in front of laughter, it becomes slaughter, and there's no more f because they're from different backgrounds yeah i watched my students
0: know? brains explode on that yeah. sort of thing just yesterday yeah. <laughs> where uh students like why is, does it need to be for instead of of i'm like because i mean technically it could be of it just doesn't sound right <laughs> yeah
1: and and so english is amazing in that way it it grows it doesn't it doesn't turn words into their own language as they like like spanish t- took from us but it's not spelled baseball like we spell it it's spelled B E I S O L or something. So it sounds like baseball.
0: Well, I know we Japanese take... has um, katakana, which they use for foreign. It's each symbol is a sound. So it's, you know, if I'm ordering a cheeseburger, I need to be like double cheeseburger or they won't understand me. It almost seems like uh-huh. I'm making fun of it, but that's what the sounds say in Japanese.
1: Uh huh. And also, you know, with symbols talking about, I, you know, I, I taught poetry mostly for to high school uh, seniors. So, I had a free reign really to do what I wanted. But I did haikus and it tied into them doing haikus, but and not the 575 in English, you don't have to do that. But anyway, in haikus, that is so, you know, quote unquote, I'm going to say now, I'll explain why, are filled with these symbols. For them, they were just writing about, like you said, the neighborhood, mountains, and Mount Fasusku, or all this stuff. And now we look at these great symbols, but if they were around today, they'd be writing about, you know, the shopping mall and using their five, seven, five, uh, I guess it was Japanese. I'm not sure, uh, language. And then 200 years later, those would be their great symbols. So the things that become great symbols to us were really their everyday life. And they might've also seen them as symbols, but they were just drawing from their everyday life. And, uh, so I try to tell my my students that you know they are important. You know that what they see, what they write, is just as important as anything and they read. And also that I had something. You know, they said that um, the there is uh, there is a society beneath the sea. I don't know if I made that up or I stole it from someone. But to me, I was I taught them what that meant. Was And I said, this is what I'm saying it means. It's not like what it officially means. I would tell them that. It means that under, underneath our, our, the, the society beneath the sea, the sea is our consciousness, our conscious mind. Beneath the sea, the society beneath the sea is that our subconscious has, it, has its own reason, logic and thought that doesn't need the conscious mind to control. On its own, it makes its own sense. So You could write, and I would try to tell them, try to write something that makes no sense. Stop thinking and just write whatever comes to mind. And my theory was, and it works out almost 100% of the time, that it's going to make sense. One way or another, what you write is going to make sense because the subconscious has its own reason, logic, and thought. And um, so writing about the supermarket or writing about the mountains or imagining anything, it's going—it's going to be loaded with potentially great poems. Let's say, so I try to make them feel as great as any poet they have ever read. That you know, they, they all face the blank page. You know.
0: One of the best things I ever, I ever wrote were just, "Hey, these words sound good together." I wasn't trying to say anything, and it, mm-hmm. kind of worked Is out in al- the end.
1: Yeah, and there's also a little more—more more extensive stream of conscious stream of consciousness writing where you feel this urge to write and you just you could write without thinking and one word links to the next and links to the next and you don't even know what you're writing exactly. But then when you look at it later, oh that that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I, I told the kids to do that. I said, don't judge what you write because one of the things for a while was stream of consciousness writing is just write whatever comes to mind. And don't stop and judge it and don't think about it. But just one word leads to another whole thing. Like you said, one thing leads to another. Like you find this one thing in that legend, the Seth material trivia led to the book. That one word you might say that you don't care about, the last word might lead to a treasure of a whole bunch of ideas you wouldn't have to thought of unless you wrote that first sentence that ended with that last word. You know, hmm. so it, it, the, the conscious, the subconscious, all that's very creative area. And, um, of course, when things come pop in your mind, it's great to write down. There's lyrics or poems. You know, I wrote down like once what came into my mind was silly disobedience, and I just write a, wrote a poem. Like when you're a poet, I, I'm totally butchering it, but it was like when you go when you're a poet, you write things like silly, silly disobedience. That that wasn't the poem, but it was brief. But always paid i would give my advice to you as you're doing already and you don't need my advice try to always scribble down those things that pop up in your head they could be poems they could turn into a song lyric they could turn into a poem they could turn into a paragraph or an essay you know anything but as you try to write down your dreams if ever you do try to write down those words that just pop up words or images that pop up they're valuable they're really valuable
0: I could I could do this all day, but I actually am getting to the point where I'm going to have to go right. catch that train to work. So,
1: <laughs> OK, um, that's fine. Before yeah,
0: I before I cut you off, though, so, um, could you tell people where to get into your books? And uh, I think you've done
1: some seminars and things. OK, Unfo- I, I could have to probably send you. Oh, but I don't see it. I don't have a list of places where I did interviews um, or if I have it, I certainly don't have it in my head. Uh, but if they did the search on on Google, you know Barry Gellis, uh, B A R R I E G E L L I S, Seth, uh, they'll probably pop up many of them will pop up there. Uh, the uh, the books Seth Material Q and A, they could get um, online on Amazon.
0: Yeah, I just got an Amazon uh, unlimited and, to read it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I just wrote a poem about Amazon. Amazon, it says. Every, every day is Christmas on the back of cruelty or something like that. But of uh, the way they treat their workers. Um, but also they can get that at Amazon. Now my email is bargel, B-A-R-G-E-L-L at AOL.com. Anybody wants to write me to send them a book. Now the book is like $20 plus whatever it is on Amazon. I do a thing, I guess this is like an infomercial. Uh, uh, if they give me their birthday, because I wrote 4,000 plus poems as I told you. I'll include poems I wrote on their birthday over the years you know, inserted in the book. I'll also sign it and write a little note to them uh, and then mail it of course to them. But for that, it would be $30 and not the $20. Um, so if anybody wanted birthday, poems written on their birthday they could do that or just buy it at Amazon if that's the quickest and easiest way. And then the last book is that poetry book that we didn't talk about, <laughs> which is fine. I hardly ever talk about it. Outside is a secret key. 100 poems by me, I'd like to do about 10 other books because I got about 4,000 poems, but 2000 probably excellent ones, who knows. So that they could also get on Amazon one way or another. Or if they could write me any questions that come up in their head, questions or comments, they should feel free to email me as well. You know, be glad to hear from them.
0: Barry, thanks for joining us. And hopefully uh we may have said a word or two that'll spark someone's interesting <laughs> associations and new experiences.
1: All right. And if ever you want to do I know this was a long one, so I don't know how many shows, one long show. But if ever you want to do it again, I'd be more than happy to do it for another two hours. That's uh yeah, sure. Up to There's you.
0: always new topics to yeah. be done. So new have topics. a good one.
1: Okay, and get to work safely and make and enjoy your space on the station that you created <laughs> for yourself.
2: The karma's gonna get you Gonna knock you right on the head You better get yourself together Pretty soon you're gonna be dead What the world are you thinking of? Laughing in the face of love What on earth you trying to do? It's up to you Calm is gonna get you gonna look you right in the face better get yourself together diamond join the human race recognize your best, everyone you meet. Why the world are we here?